United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Libya has been divided, lawless, verging on becoming a failed state ever since NATO intervened in 2011. You might remember airstrikes, including American airstrikes, helped to topple the dictator Muammar Gaddafi. Where is it today and what is happening? The latest development, specifically, we are tracking the general who had been advancing on Tripoli, Khalifa Hiftar. We wanted to get some perspective on this, so we welcome to the program somebody who really knows what he's talking about, Tom Hill, USIP, United States Institute of Peace, North Africa expert, tweeting at C- uh, S-E-A-T-O-D-C-A. Uh, Tom Hill, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Talk about uh, this general, Khalifa Hiftar. What do we need to know about him? I'm, you know, consider most of us don't really follow this very closely like you do. He's had a uh, very colorful background. He was uh, within the inner group of Muammar Gaddafi, the former ruler of Libya, uh, during the period when Gaddafi uh, ousted the, the king at the time and instituted a coup. And uh, he rose through the ranks to be a, a, a prominent general who fell out of favor with Gaddafi and ended up going off to, to fight with Chadian rebels uh, against Gaddafi and uh, through a series of events, ended up in the U.S. living in exile and was a, a consultant or advisor to the CIA for many years. And then um, post Qaddafi has gone back um, first uh, immediately after the fall of Qaddafi to try and raise an army and, and, and build um, his own profile. And that failed and they gave it another shot uh, several years later. And that set us on the path to where we are today, where he has um this uh, he leads a, a group called the uh, Libyan National Army, which um, is a bit, bit of a misnomer because many of the people within his ranks are not actually Libyans. A lot of them are hired mercenaries, and some of them are from other countries. And so it's a it's a hodgepodge of of groups that he's pulled together that seem united around only the goal of supporting him. It's not he's not driven by some religious ideology or um, some kind of a grand grand vision for. Libya's place in the world, and he—he's a strong man. Um, some would call him a warlord, and uh, he is backed by um, several other governments within the Gulf and and in Europe, uh, because he is seen by some as a um, an opportunity to make sure that uh, radical Islamic elements within uh, Libyan politics don't um, uh, assume power. I don't know that what? that's. Uh, I, I wouldn't characterize it that way, but what is, and in your opinion, what should be the U.S. position on General Hiftar? Um, well, the position that the U.S. has traditionally taken against vis-a-vis Hiftar has been that he, we have to recognize that he is an important player in determining how a peaceful solution to the conflict occurs, and so it's better to have him in the tent rather than outside the tent in terms of negotiations. Um, but that has to be balanced against uh, the very real human human rights concerns that we have about what his army is doing or has done in the past for certain elements within his army. And um, Hiftar himself has said that he doesn't see Libya as ready for democracy. And um, he, all of his actions seem to point to the fact that he would rather be a dictator, much like Gaddafi or, or worse. So... Uh, treating him with kid gloves uh, is, is, is probably the right approach. Um, and but right now, he's the most dominant player in the Libyan political scene. 
Let's shift the conversation, if we can, for a moment with Tom Hill to Algeria. The president had resigned. He had ruled over 20 years. Uh, the question is, where, where does Algeria go from here? And again, what is the strategic importance of this country to the U.S. right now? So Algeria is um, uh, a massive exporter for natural gas and, and um, energy to Europe. Um, it has uh, an incredibly diverse population of roughly 40 million people, including um, I, I believe it's something like 32 percent are under the uh, are, are considered youth. And um, so if it goes sideways uh, and it has a history of um, violent conflict, you're looking at a, a major um, national security threat to our interests in the Mediterranean region and in southern Europe. So uh, certainly making sure that things transition post-President Bouteflika in a way that um, minimizes conflict is, is would be the U.S. would be in the U.S. interest. In addition to the fact that even if you could somehow contain uh, whatever spillover from Algeria into Europe, um, it would be damaging to our partners in Morocco and Tunisia. So uh, Algeria going um, uh, backwards or, or exploding would would be horrific for uh, for both the region and for U.S. national security interests. Well, and it's also, this is another place where you wonder if what is taking place in Libya might influence what's happening in Algeria or more vice versa, just because they are neighbors. And I wonder if the two are in some way linked. Well, they're linked in the sense that there is a region-wide uh, feeling among the population that their governments have not performed um, to the degree that they want need them to, meaning uh political marginalization, uh, elections have not been free and fair, uh, cronyism is rampant, uh, the, the systems are tilted against uh, the population in favor of uh, select few in all, in, in all these countries. And so um, the, the desires or the, the hopes of the, the 2011, what they call Arab Spring, that have not been realized, um, continue to create uh, popular unrest. And so I think the tie that you could make between Libya and Algeria is that Libya cut off toppled in Libya very early as a result of this public pressure from below. And it took Algeria another eight years, but it eventually the government was ousted by the same popular movement or the same feelings that exist in the populace. With no sense about what the option might be after, you know, at least very little sense. In other words, there's no institution of government to take its place and one always wonders about a vacuum and it seems like we've got both of them yeah right now algeria has more of a a, a system in place uh and what what's happening is a discussion about how fast and to what degree that system will change to accommodate the demands of people in the streets um now if you take the people at the streets in the streets at their word what they're saying is we want the whole system gone um, and it remain. I think the question uh, that will determine whether or not this transition is peaceful or becomes bloody is the degree to which people currently in power are willing to go along with the street and say, yes, we agree to give up all of our power and go home. Um, my sense is that what they're trying to do is figure out what is the bare minimum amount of reform we could do uh, to get people out of the streets uh, and kind of continue on our course as we've been doing. I know this isn't really nearly enough time to get all the complexity, but I do appreciate you making some of it much more clear to us this morning. Tom, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me.
Tom Hill, USIP, United States Institute of Peace, North Africa expert. The situation in Algeria and neighboring Libya. And as we mentioned, we started with Libya. There's been unrest there since 2011. And uh, and obviously what has been taking place over the last couple of months, especially in Algeria, important to our point. Twitter handle at USIP or at S-E-A-T-O-D-C-A. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.